Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of one of our 2020 Elul study classes. I'm an old drunk. God entered me. God, I had a spiritual experience with God. Um, I got arrested on a fluke in 1986, and um, I haven't had to be a drunk or a thief ever since, which is really the story of Chuba for me. When I went to prison, I studied with the prison rabbi, Rabbi Mel Silverman, Oliver Shalom, and he um, he said that uh, um, Chuba was was my way back. And I thought about all the times I heard about, you know, Teshuvah and Yom Kippur, or somebody talk about it on Rosh Hashanah, but not that it really had any meaning or, or any power in my life. So I'm going to go through some things with you, because for me, what I learned was that the base problem that I have, and in my 30-plus years of working at Beit Shuvah and my 20-plus years of, of um, being a rabbi, I was, a rabbi, I was the rabbi at Beit Juba in 1993, and I got ordained in 2000. I always kind of do things out of the box. But um, the shame is what paralyzes all of us. And so for me, letting go of shame has been the great, the great story of my life. And the thing that's made my life worth living, and ab- and I've been able to live. So right now, I'm no longer. I used to be this. I was the senior rabbi, then I was the founding rabbi. I was the only rabbi. Then there were other rabbis, and now I'm a consultant at Beit Shuva because because um, I got crazy one night and in uh, um, three minutes wiped out thirty years. What can I tell you? You know, you know that saying: one oh shit wipes out a hundred attaboys. Well, I'm living proof of it. And I'm still connected and still consulting, and I'm doing other things. I'm doing spiritual counseling all over the country now, especially with Zoom. And I love doing teaching. So with that, I'm going to share my screen, I think, if this works. And we can get started. Everybody sees it? Did I do it right? Yeah. Okay. Now, the other thing is you can unmute yourself. I want you all to know that I don't have a problem if somebody wants to argue with me or ask me questions. Even take me off base because I can always come back. Okay? So anything that you have a question about, please jump in. You don't have to wait for the question and answer period. I'm not a very formal person. So I wanted to start out with these two um, pieces from Rabbi Heschel. He says... And by the way, for you, so you understand, for me, Rabbi Heschel is alive and well and speaks to me every day. So when I say says, even though he's been dead since 1972, that doesn't matter to me. And the same is true of, of all of my teachers. They're, they're, it's Allah Shalom, and they're still talking to me. And I think that's what, it, for me, defines a teacher. So he says the greatest hindrance to knowledge is our adjustment to conventional notions and mental cliches. Wonder or radical amazement, the maladjustment to words and notions is, therefore, a prerequisite for an authentic awareness of that which is. 
standing eye to eye with being, we realize that we're able to look at the world with two faculties, with reason and with wonder. Through the first, reason, we try to explain or adapt the world to our concepts. Through the second, we seek to adapt our minds to the world. Wonder is a state of mind in which we do not look at reality through the lattice work of our memorized knowledge, in which nothing is taken for granted. Each thing is a surprise. So for me, the first step in letting go of shame is I have to let go of old stories. I'm no longer defined by the guy that was a, a drunk and a criminal. I let go of that story. Not that it's not true, and I'll... I'll go into that a little bit later. I just don't have to have it today because it's not in today. So I see Rabbi Schatz right now as she is right now. I mean, I have wonderful memories of her. She, she's just, like I say, amazing. And I see her in this moment. And the same is true of my wife and, and of everybody else. When I see my wife... It, if I see my wife the same today as I saw her yesterday, then I'm not seeing her at all. Because I'm looking at her through the lattice work of memorized knowledge. But rather, I have to be maladjusted to notions and, and words. Have you ever looked up different words in, in, um, in, um, in the dictionary? So... When I say the word serenity, what is, what's it mean to you, Rabbi Schatz? So interesting. The first thing that comes to mind is the serenity prayer. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, calm, peace. Uh, I think of the water. Okay. Anybody else? Being present. Pre present. Present. Present in the moment. Okay. Uh, yeah. Also, a, um, a peace inside myself. Mm. Okay. So I want to tell you a little secret. It comes from the Latin, meaning clarity. The Latin has nothing to do with peace or calm. So grace is pleasing. So the serenity prayer becomes God. Well, the one everybody knows, let me do it this way. God, grant me the clarity to accept, which means to take in. The things I cannot change. So I have to be in this moment to see what can't I change. The courage or the heart to change the things I can. Which the original by Reinhard Niebuhr is a, a different one. It says, God, give us the grace. Give us the pleasure. Grace is pleasing. Give us the pleasing to accept, to take in with clarity the things we cannot change. The heart to change the things we should. And the wisdom, the da'at, the inner knowledge to distinguish one from the other, la'avdiyam. So 
here, the first thing I have to do is to see that I am not created in shame. I'm created B'Tselem Elohim in the image of God. I'm filled, I come to life with Ruach Elohim. So all of a sudden, that changes the way I see the world. That's how I stay in this radical amazement. And one of the most amazing things, of course, is that tshuva was put into the world before the world was created. The tshuva even exists. So I'm going to go to this other piece that we use at Beit Shuba. The most unnoticed of all miracles is the miracle of repentance. It's not the same as rebirth. It's transformation creation. In the dimension of time, there's no going back, but the power of repentance, the power of tshuva, causes time to be created backward and allows recreation of the past to take place. Through the forgiving hand of God, harm and blemish which we have committed against the world and against ourselves will be extinguished, transformed into salvation. God brings about this creation for the sake of humanity when a human being repents for the sake of God. For many years, we've experienced history as a judgment. What is the state of our repentance, our return to Judaism? Repentance is an absolute spiritual tradition, spiritual decision made in truthfulness. Its motivations are remorse for the past, responsibility for the future. Only in this manner is it possible. So look what he's saying here. Tshuva is a transformation. I transform from one way of being to a new way of being. And while I cannot change what I did before, what I do change is the context of it and the power of it. So when I went to my brother and when I went to my daughter and I did a chuba with my daughter when she was eight and a half years old for being in jail for six of her first eight and a half years. And the fact that I showed up when I hadn't showed up and I kept showing up and kept showing up and show, I've shown up in my daughter's life more than she's wanted. But she now knows that the story she told herself of me not being around, well, chronologically and historically, it may be true. It's just not who I am or who she is anymore. For my brother and my sister and my mother, I recreated the past. They saw it in a different context. They saw that I knew that I did the wrong thing. So, I took everything that I did, all the energy and the way of being wrong and bad and harmful, and I turned it into good. So I tell people I'm still a hustler. My hustle now is for God. It's not for me. And that's a huge shift. So by experiencing and accepting this transformation, I can't tell myself the same conventional notion and mental cliche that I told myself 40 years ago. And when you think about it and you start to look at this, 
think of how much we're still living an old story. I can't tell you how many young people tell me that they didn't do well in school or their parents told them they weren't good enough. Why didn't you get in? I, I had a kid one time come to me. He says, I got a 93 on the test and it wasn't good enough. I said, let me talk to your father. High school kid. He was on the basketball team. I mean, you know, nice, sweet boy. I called the kid's father. I said, are you crazy? You're going to imagine what that was. He said, well, he didn't get 100. That's an old story. So I wanted to bring in a piece of Torah, because I love Torah. And, oops, there we go. So where did shame come from? comes from the third chapter of Genesis. God called out to, the, to Adam and said to Adam, where are you? Ayeka. He replied, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Why are we afraid to be seen? We still live in that shame of being seen for who we are, both good and not so good. And so shame comes from the first human being. They ate from the tree the fruit of knowledge, and to me the sin was not eating of the fruit of the tree of good uh, uh, of knowledge of good and evil, but rather the fact that they hid. So, how often am I still hiding, is a question I ask myself. Because when I don't hide, then I'm living this return to Judaism, that it's an absolute spiritual tradition that I'm going to live in truth. So, tshuva comes about, is real, when it's done in truth, remorse, and responsibility. But truthfulness is the key. He hid. That's not true. He was afraid because he was seen. Again, not true. Or not necessary, I should say. Think about how often we hide because we're afraid. I can't tell you how many people, and this is parents, this is normal people, executives, etc., high-power people who aren't even addicts. They tell me that I'm afraid if somebody really knew who I was, they wouldn't like me. Think of how you hide from your rabbis. As a rabbi, I can tell you that there were times when people said, how shall I put what they said? Hmm. They asked me why I didn't hide more. Because as rabbis, we're taught that we can't be real. We're, we're in a, a role, not our soul. And you pay our salary. 
I was one I mean, you know, I didn't care, so I just told them the truth. <laughs> like where it got me, right? <laughs> but it got me to live with me. It gets you to live with you when you don't hide. So we have these conventional notions. We have these societal norms. We have these judgments from society. Anybody ever felt judged by society or somebody else? Besides me? Maybe a couple? Okay. So, where's that come from? I took a look in the, in the Torah. And Genesis chapter 4. I mean, do you realize how old this is? We're in chapter 3 and chapter 4 of Genesis. The beginning. But to Cain and his offering, he paid no heed. How would Cain know that God paid no heed? Cain was much distressed and his face fell. God said to Cain, why are you distressed? Why is your face fallen? Surely if you do right, there's uplift. But if you do not do right, sin couches at its door, at the door, it its urges towards you. It desires you much. Yet you can be its master. So here's what happens. We already, our thought pattern gets us to already make decisions about what people are thinking, and that puts us into shame. I don't know if God accepts my offering. I believe God accepts me. But look what happens. When we don't feel accepted, when we don't feel seen, when we don't feel known, we get distressed and our face falls. And here's God giving us a pep talk. Have you ever really read this and seen this as the pep talk to you? That when I'm in negativity, sin is right. It's it's on the couch. You know how comfortable the couch is, right? And I can master it. That's what Chuva says. Chuva is the pathway to mastering negativity. And he's also saying that Torah and God is teaching us that negativity doesn't just leave. It's always on the couch, outside, waiting to pounce. But we don't have to buy it. Because we don't have to hide and we don't have to buy into the old notions. So where is this whole chuba come from? Rabbi Dean Steinsaltz, Oliver Shalom, a blessed memory, says in his book, 13 Petal Rose, by the way, if you've never read the book, it's an amazing book. The first few chapters are, uh, um, a lot of it is Kabbalah, and Kabbalah is not my deal exactly. But... Um, the, the rest of it is just beautiful poetry, poetic in, in prose. So he says, certain sages go so far as to include repentance among the entities created before the world itself. And he says, the act of repentance is in the first place a severance of the chain of cause and effect, in which one transgression inevitably follows inevitably upon another. So that's 
one Averis leads to another Averis. Beyond this, so we're severing that chain. Beyond this, it's an attempt to nullify and even alter the past. I can't be in shame if I've nullified the past, if I've said, okay, that happened and it's no longer me. In this chapter on repentance, he has this, he has this part that says, severance is where I say chronologically or historically, this may be a part of me, it's just no longer. That may be true, it's just no longer a part of me. So when I let go of old stories, when I am present in this moment, when I don't look at life through the lattice work of memory, then I can see that today's new and I'm new. And the past doesn't have that hold on me. Now, it can only be achieved when he uses the um, term man, but it means humans to me. So men and women, humans. Subjectively, shatter the order of our own existence. Think of how many times you keep going the same order, the same routine, day after day after day, and the same stuff happens, you gotta shatter it. Einstein said insanity is, is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. And to, do, to live without shame means I have to shatter that existence that I've created and I've lived in for so long. The thrust of repentance, not trust, thrust of repentance is to break through the ordinary limits of the self. Think of how many times we have limited ourselves. Rather than saying, wow, Today's new and I'm new and we can do something different. This teaching for you, for this teaching that I'm doing is me shattering the order of my own existence and breaking through through the ordinary limits of myself because I don't know how to do this this way. I mean, I know how to lead a study and do all this stuff, but this Zoom is a whole new deal. I mean, I know how to lead groups, this and that. But here we're getting into the work that I love so much. So to do that, I have to get past my own fear, my own worry about, oh, am I going to fall on my face? If I live shame, in shame, when shame and blame is so much a part of me, now I know that nobody ever blames somebody else for anything, right? We don't do that. We're Jews. Letting go of that means that I can always try something new because I'm not afraid to fail. To me, failure is learning. I fail forward. Have you ever realized that how many times when something doesn't go right, you go over it and see where it went wrong and how to do it better the next time? When it goes right, you just keep going. So, of course, since I want to teach a little bit of everything, we learn in a Mishnah. This is from Shabbat 153a. I even memorized this citation, which I never memorized the citation. Rabbi Eliezer says, do tshuva, repent, do tshuva one day before your death. Students of Rabbi Eliezer asked them, but as a person, no, which day you will die? He said to him, all the more so. But a person who repent today, he may die tomorrow, and he will find all his days in repentance. So, 
do chuba one day before you die, since none of us do know the day of our death, we should do chuba every day. Not to be personal. Rabbi, do you do chuva every day? Definitely not. <laughs> I mean, I guess I, I guess I pray it, but I don't know that I fully do it. Right. Most of us don't. See, the beauty about being in recovery is that I know I need it. And without it, I'm, I'm in trouble. So, this was something that I studied also. It was taught in the Baraisa. The Rabbi Mayer would say, great is Chuba because the entire world is forgiven on the account of one individual who repents. As it is stated, I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely, for my anger is turned away from him. It does not say from them, i.e. from the sinners, but from him, i.e. from that individual. Because he repented, everybody will be healed. That's from the prophet Hosea. Jeremiah says, return. Return for your backsliding. I'll take you back in love. You are so important that because of your chuba, the entire world will, will endure. Be forgiven. That's a powerful, powerful way of being. It means that when I do chuba and I let the go of the shame and the blame, I am not just, I'm not just getting forgiveness for myself. I'm doing it for everybody else too. Everybody who can't do it, won't do it, whatever. So then of course, how do I do it? So we call it the Cheshbon and Nefesh worksheet. Rabbi Shapiro, I'm sure has copies of this. All sorts of different versions, too, I think, somewhere. Oh, there's Rabbi Shapiro. Where are you? I can't see you. Rabbi Matt Shapiro. What's cracking, Rab? How you doing, baby? Hanging in, man. How about you? I'm great. Good. Good to see you. So here's the truth, okay? I know that if you all said to Rabbi uh, Shapiro or Rabbi Shetz, I would love to do these chuva sheets with you. I'd love to go through it. And, and, and get help, I'll bet you they would sign up in a heartbeat, wouldn't you? Yeah. Absolutely. So, the bullseye, because you see, to do chuba, you have to do a cheshbon and nefesh, which is an accounting of your soul. And as every accountant knows, I have to, I have, to have the assets and the liabilities. People think chuba and they think only what I've done wrong. No. Because chuva's return response, uh, return repentance, return a new response. So when I have a new response, I have to also take note of that. So, the first thing is what or how did I do well? And Rabbi Shapiro, if you want to jump in, I absolutely encourage you. I'll follow your lead. <laughs> Look where that got you. <laughs> 
So, think about this. This week, this year, listing what you did well this year. Taking a look at your life, at your year, at your week, at your day, at your month, whatever period of time. And acknowledging what you do well so that you can see a picture of you that's different than the picture of shame, blame, I'm not good enough, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The other piece that this does is it allows you to see other people doing well too because you're looking through a new pair of glasses, a new pair of eyes. So I can appreciate Rabbi Shapiro because I can appreciate what I do well. I can appreciate what he does well. And he does a lot of things well. I can appreciate the innovation and brilliance of Rabbi Schatz. But I can't appreciate if I don't see what I do well, because otherwise I'm looking through blame and shame, and that gets me to be resentful and see what's wrong. So then I have to take a look. What made a writer okay? What's the reasoning that I did it? What's the reason that I did it? What's the foundation that I'm living by? So I do it because it's the next right thing to do and I can't live well if I don't. Then I look at who is impacted. So, I know that one of the things I did well many years ago was hiring Rabbi Manchabiro. And I did it because I saw his soul and I saw his, his kindness and his brilliance. He was impacted, I was impacted, his wife, his children. How were we all impacted? And God was impacted. So, man was impacted because he knew that he was wanted. And appreciated for who he is. His wife, of course, she didn't have to worry, is my husband going to have a job? Every wife of a rabbi coming out of rabbinic school thinks, oh, no, is he going to have a job? I was impacted because I was able to learn with a great spirit. And I was able to argue with somebody to learn who cared. as a deep love of people. and a whole connection to Yiddishkeit that is so powerful and beautiful. What was learned? That I always have to keep it fresh and I have to keep hanging out with people, with Matt and people like me and like Rebecca because they're smart, they're young and they just, they keep raising up my soul. My life is better because they're in it. What's the plan? Stay in touch more. Learn more. Hang out more. 
maybe even let Rabbi Shapiro win an argument. Stuff. I haven't gotten that place yet, but you know. You don't want to go too crazy, Rabbi. I know. (laughs) I'll, I'll add to that. I mean, I remember in learning this from you, the the plan is both about the specific action and it's also about taking a step further out um and and sort of broadening the principle right so if if the principle at work is seeking out ways to connect bring people in etc right then it, it might be about the relationship with the individual right it might be about the relationship that you and i have and it's also about extrapolating that out, right? Like this, this lesson was learned in this specific case and should continue to be applied. And then in the future, when I find myself in a similar position, I can apply that lesson that I've learned in that same situation, right? Just like in Chuva, if it's a situation where I've messed something up and it's not just, it is about that specific situation and how to extrapolate that lesson. So too for the positive, right? Right. So one of the things that it's done, and and this is, I I really want you all to know this, that um, Rabbi Shapiro was not necessarily always the easiest person to work with. I, on the other hand, am always, you know, laid back and everything like that. Very chill. (laughs) Um. My, I never used the telephone intercom. I just used to yell and everybody would hear. That's how chill. <laughs> but really what it is, is that, that the extrapolation is over the years, how many people that, um, how many young rabbis and rabbinical students that we engaged with together and 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 watching them grow and learning with them and how impactful it was for us. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. And, and I'll, I'll compound that in saying, in not shying away from affirming what we do well, we also make it possible for other people to learn that from us too. Right? right? The, the, starting with what we do well you ask somebody which side of the sheet was harder to fill out, right? Where you missed the mark or what you did well, 19 times out of 20, it's harder for somebody to say what they did well. Right. Right. So saying I'm willing to see yes, where I slip up and also to push myself to honor the good and to elevate that and to offer that up. Because if I see Reb, how you bring me in, then I can say, Oh, okay, well, well he did that and he's naming that. And then I can learn that from you and try to apply that forward, right? That there, that there's then that, that chain that, that, that learning can happen. Right. And so one of the things that we've done um, also is, is uh, I always suggest it to families. The parents talk about what their kids did. Listen to, to what their kids think they did well, what their kids did well. And the parents talk about what they did well. Think about before Shabbos or at a Shabbos table, the conversation is about, as you'll see from the next sheet, missing the mark and also where I hit the mark. 
So missing the mark is, is and, and I use missing the mark because the long confessional on Yom Kippur is al chet shechatanu. And chet is an archery term. It means missing the mark. I didn't hit the bullseye. Think about it. I didn't hit the bullseye. Oi, I didn't get it all right. Do you know what kind of shanda that is for the neighbors? So here's a quick story. I'm in prison out in California. My mother's living in Cleveland, Ohio. She says to me, I can't go out. I said, Ma, I'm not that big of a criminal. It wasn't in the Cleveland Jewish News. How would they know? She says, I told them. So when and how did I miss the mark? So one of the ways I missed the mark with Rabbi Shapiro is that I didn't always see how important something was to him. I wasn't as present with him as I, I could have been, I needed to, and he needed me to be. What made a writer okay for me to do something wrong? I was busy and I, you know, and he's a big boy and blah, blah, all these stories I told myself. Because remember, when we do something that's harmful or missing the mark, we do have an excuse. It was impacted. Rabbi Shapiro wasn't I was. How? There were times when Matt just felt unseen and unheard. And that was a true experience. And what he was trying to add to my life, to the life of Bechuba, and to people's lives, I was blowing off. And that idea of being discounted. It wasn't like Cain, where he didn't know if God accepted or not. It was that I told man I didn't accept. So that experience of not belonging. I was impacted because I kept thinking, I kept staying in the same old knowledge. I was looking at everything like I'd looked at it before. I was not present. I didn't have a maladjustment. I was trying to adapt everything to my mind rather than adapt my mind to to what is. What was learned I have to be more open. I have to constantly practice that. What's the plan for not repeating? It's just to listen more. And to allow myself to lose an argument. And to tell Rabbi Shapiro that I miss him. I miss our arguments. I miss all of the things he brought. And how happy I am that he found an amazing place that he adds so much to kids' lives and to people's lives. Those are the, that's the way that we do tshuva, at big tshuva. And when I suggested to people to do it prior to high holidays, can you imagine that all of a sudden, then I'm young people, you walk in, you really are clean. Rabbi Soloveitchik, I didn't put this down, but Rabbi Soloveitchik says that that there's two cleansings on Yom Kippur. 
One is kapera, guilt, and the other is tahara, clean. And when I, Yom Kippur makes me not guilty. But clean, getting rid of the shame is when I make the choice to no longer participate in those actions. He uses the, the, um, the story of a gambler where a gambler break, doesn't just put the dice away, but crushes the dice so they, they can't be used again. So I put a roadblock up many years ago to certain behaviors. And each year, each month, each day, each week, I have to reinforce those and I have to build new roadblocks. So while my life gets wider and broader, it also gets narrower because I put up more, more blocks so they don't jump the curb. And that's a real way of living. So can you imagine if you did this once a week, if you did it once a year for yourself? If you don't know what the plan is, or you don't know what learn, whenever you get stuck, going over this with a spiritual guide will change your life. It will bring you, it will bring you the opportunity to be seen. I was just speaking with somebody um, from Atlanta, Georgia. And I was talking to the woman after listening to her and knowing her for a, for a bit. And it was very interesting because she started crying. I said, why are you crying? She said, because you just see me. And being seen is so important. So you allow the rabbis to see you and you grow together. And then if you do with your family, all those old, I don't know about you, but I, I have a, um, <laughs> I had two uncles who didn't talk to each other for years. Neither one remembered. Why not? But they both knew that they were right. Then we're going to come to my brother's wedding, my elder brother's wedding. I said, what are you doing? My father had been, had, had been dead for about 10 years almost. It's what, you're not going to show up to, to your brother-in-law's uh, um, your brother-in-law's son's wedding when he can't? Uh, but they didn't remember. So think of what happens when your kids know, okay, my parents do good and they make mistakes and they know they make mistakes. Do you realize the permission it gives them to not feel bad or not have to hide from the mistakes they make. It allows us to know that Surtamim, God is perfect and we're human. So then I don't have to be ashamed like Adam anymore because I'm seen. I've been doing this for 30 years, and I will tell you that I'm not there yet, and I'll never get there. And I live with so much less shame, so much more joy and freedom. Even with the, 
incident. And the fact that for six months I had been uh, on a leave from Beit I'm freer now because I let go of the shame of that. And I do it because I take a look at what I do well. And I take a look at where I missed the mark. I do it because I know that tshuva is important and I have to do it every day. And I know that sin, negativity couches at my door and I have a way to master it. And I know that I don't have to hide. And I know that when I'm in truth and remorse and responsibility, life is better. Most of all, I know I don't have to keep on, hold on to those same old notions. Because when I don't see myself the same way, then I don't see uh, Rabbi Shapiro the same way. I see him as like amazing. I see him as he is now, not like he was and what I think he should be. There's no more shoulds. There's only what is and loving and appreciating the lunatic, that's Matt Shapiro. <laughs> you have to understand when I say lunatic, that's a compliment coming from me. One of the highest compliments. So any questions or thoughts? You can unmute. Sorry, Mark. Maybe if you could stop sharing your screen, it'll be, unless you're sharing something, some text, then we can oh. see Okay. Hi, right, how's this? I do find quite challenging focusing. I'm just, you know, as, as you were talking to us, I'm trying to think about these past year good things that I did, you know, the positive things, and all the bad stuff keeps on popping out like fireworks. Uh, and it's very interesting how uh, the mind is so conditioned to. Uh, to look at this negativity first and not to let me, you know, not to allow me face-to-face, um, -face, you know, the light of the, you know, the positive things that I did. Right. Well, that's, that's what Rabbi Shapiro was saying. That's the hardest thing for most people to do. Because it feels like false humility if I talk about the goodness, the good that I do. And, and if we don't recognize it, then what happens is that we keep getting a skewed picture of ourselves, which gives the negativity more power. So I do see um, uh, um, that there's a couple of questions here in the Zoom chat. Should I respond to those also? Yeah, go ahead. I don't see them, so you might have gotten them privately. I don't know. No, it's to everyone. Oh. So somebody said, is doing Juba for, for another the same as doing Misha Bayrocks for other? Okay. It, it, it's so, it, no, it's the short answer. Doing Juba is healing an old wound. Here's what I do when I do Juba. I restore your dignity. It's a very important thing. Because if I harm you, I don't see you as a human being. I see you as an object. And that's the worst thing I can do. The greatest of eros to me is 
you losing your humanity. And I seeing you only as an object. So tshuva for others means that I'm coming to do, I'm coming to do something that restores your dignity. And when I do something positive, really, I'm saying that I have something to offer. So I honor my own dignity. And I talk about tshuva for the wrongdoer, but what about tshuva for friends and family of the doer, the pain and anguish of living with it? Well, I had to go to my own family. And I had to explain to them that they didn't do anything wrong. And I could only do tshuva, I could only do some amends for the shame that they felt and the way they were treated by others. But again, they had then the choice to decide, do they want to hold on to the shame or not? My brother said, I want to hold on to it. So he became an advocate for families of people who were in um, in prison, and family members in prison, and, and family uh, members who were, somebody who's, who had a family member who was an addict. To this day, when some brother calls me, and says, my brother's addicted, I don't know what to do, and I'm feeling all torn and angry, and this and that. I say, here's my brother's phone number, call him. So, any other thoughts or questions? Jennifer, did you want to ask something? Yeah, um, and I don't, uh, if this takes it in a direction where you don't want to go, we can maybe have another conversation one day. Um, And this is something that has uh, been an issue for me for a long time. Um, My mother died several years ago. um, And uh, she was a difficult person and has had an impact on my life since. I've had a lot of therapy. I understand what she did. Um, And the question is, she obviously can't, can't do tshuva. How does somebody who may have been affected by another person, um, I could let go, and and I have worked on that, but I'm wondering if you could frame how one might address this. Yeah, so what I um, suggest to people, and, and I think, in fact, um, Matt, didn't we do this once with somebody? where they went to the grave, they wrote a letter. Forgiving your parent, explaining what they did, and asking forgiveness for the way they acted in response. But I was perfect. <laughs> I, you know, we know that. I know, I'm, I'm kidding. I know, I know you are. <laughs> um, so I did that with my father. I was really angry that my father died when I was 14 and left me alone. He was the only person that really knew my soul. My mother, not so much. And when I got sober and and I went back to Cleveland in 1990, I went there with, I went there with a, a, um, a letter asking him for forgiveness for ruining his name. 
for not following the morals that he taught me and forgiving him for dying on me. And you letting, forgiving her, telling her what she did, not minimizing it, but forgiving her in that way and asking for forgiveness for your actions can have a very powerful, it, it is a powerful experience. Thank you. And, and I went with a rabbi, my brother, in that time. And I've taken people to the, to the cemetery to do that. And it really is powerful. Matt, didn't we do that with somebody? Yeah, I remember, I remember doing it with a client once. The, the other thing, the, the language piece that I remember learning around Beit Shuvah on this is when you, when you break down the word resentment, right? It's like re-sentiment, right? Like feeling the same thing over and over again, right? So there, there's, there's two directions that that functions, right? There's one way, Jen, where you're talking about the relationship that was challenging with your mom. And then there's also the experience of how you keep holding on to that feeling over and over and over again, right? And then how, how that may or may not impact you and your other relationships, right? The experience with your mom, right? It, it, she's passed, it, that's sad, and it's sad that you didn't get the chance to work that through with her however you might have been able to. Right. And in addition to then the process that Rabbi Mark's talking about, then there's also the question of, is there work to do around the sort of feeling and experience that you're holding on to in terms of your relationship with her. Another piece, I think. Right. Um, yeah. Oh, sorry. I was going to, I was going to give you one more question since I know we're running low on time. Is that okay? Sure. Okay. So from Karen, um, she wrote in the chat, you talk, you Rabbi Mark talk about Shuva for the wrong doer. But what about Shuva for the friends and the family of the doer, the pain and the anguish of living with it? I'm not exactly sure what you mean by that. Do you want to unmute, Karen? Sure, where is she? Yeah, she doesn't want to. Um, she living through it with my son years ago who went to Big Shuva. Thank you very much, your blessed person. Um, but things will come up. It's forgiveness, but not forgetting. I want to stop for remembering the pain. And also, my father was an alcoholic and died when I was 12, and he died at 38. And I think some of what I feel in the remembering of my son is also remembering with my father, and I'm like right back being eight years old, crying. Right. Okay. So, Jen, um, that's a good point, and I think it's very similar to what we were just talking about with Jennifer. I know, yeah. Um, forgiving your father and telling him what he did. Going to a cemetery, if he's not buried here, you go to, any, you go to a cemetery at any grave. But doing that and saying, okay, I'm going to let this go. And then... Uh, forgiveness does, in, I think when there's real chuba, forgiveness does allow for a lot of forgetting. Mm. And certainly when the feeling comes up again or something, the thought, I let it go a lot quicker 
So um, I'm, because of the tshuva that, that Rabbi Matt and I have done with each other, when we see each other, we see each other with love all the time. It doesn't mean that, you know, I can't think of something that he did that harmed me or he can't think of something that I did. Just It's just because of the tshuva, those aren't important. With all my heart, I love my son beyond. And the Shama, you could, you know, thank you. How, come my, father, how come my father, I can't tell you how many people have said, how come my father couldn't get clean? Huh. Well, he could, that's all. No, I know. But like, so for my daughter, I've had people, friends of hers, who said, my father never got clean. How come yours did? Yeah. So that's what triggers it, maybe. Thank you all. This was thrilling. I'm so grateful to all of you. Thank you, Mark. This was Thank so, you. so wonderful. And uh, as you know, I always love a moment to be able to learn with you. Um, and I think that one of one of the things that I know that I'm taking with me, I took a whole page of notes, um, but one of the things that I'm taking with me is this idea of Chuba's transformation. I think we... We think of tshuva as something that we need to do, but not necessarily as a thing that then sticks with us to continue our growth into who we are. And so I hope that all of us, especially since we're going into Shabbat this weekend um, and then moving forward through Elul together, that we can really think about what is the tshuva that we need to do, not just because we need to do it and this is the time of the year to do it, but because it's actually going to transform the way that we see ourselves and we interact with the world. Um, Right. And, and if I could just add that, I, I don't know if y'all can get what I shared or not. Yeah, I'm going to ask you to send it to me, and then I'm going to share it with them. Okay, and then and and I know, Matt, you still have tuba sheets, right? Yes, sir. And we did it last year for Slichot. Right. So I think yes, if, you guys, if if you all engage in it, it will change your life. I'm t- I know it will. There's no doubt in my mind. And so I really would. I'm trying to promote more tshuva in the world. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.